if you're not open and honest and upfront, it means that you're hiding something and that that's a problem. So we need to be positive and and real in who we are and, and how we present ourselves. Wise words there. That was Sue Sullivan. And we'll be hearing from her later in the episode. Welcome back to Spotlight 19. Justin Tracy here. It's August 24th, 2017. Today we are having another special edition episode. Saja and I spoke to Sue Sullivan, another candidate for Congress here in New York 19, back on August 6th. Since then, we've been traveling in the Pacific Northwest, actually, and we were taking a a much-needed break. We're back and energized, and a lot has gone on in the month we've been away. Most importantly, the Charlottesville tragedy on August 12th. This brought to the forefront something we've been talking about on Spotlight 19 since April. That is the prevalence of hatred in political discourse that is affecting people every day in the worst ways. Now, it wasn't until two days after the violence that Representative John Faso condemned the attacks. And he didn't initially call out the language President Trump used until an interview on Tuesday. Nowhere in his official press release does he issue a strong statement against the president's equivocation with respect to the white supremacists and neo-Nazis, which certainly concerns us here at Spotlight 19. Yet we aren't surprised, given that John Faso has yet to condemn Islamophobia in strong terms despite our repeated requests for him to do so. And he has not made visiting minority communities here in New York 19 a priority as our representative. Another big development here in New York 19 is that John Faso, at long last, will hold a town hall in the district, in nearby Esopus. But he does so eight months into his term, and only after a grassroots group based here in Ulster County, Move Forward New York, had to meet with him and submit a detailed proposal with respect to the format. In our next episode, we speak to Professor Glenn Gear who wrote the proposal, to learn more about what it was like to plan the event. We have some big things in store for our listeners. Early next week, we return to our regular format of recounting congressional votes, as well as some new segments. And we hope to get some young, bright minds to work on Spotlight 19 from our local schools and universities in this coming fall. Saja and I are committed to this project, but getting some extra hands on deck and brains in the mix will be most welcome. And now, we move to our interview with Sue Sullivan. Today, we're very lucky to have on Sue Sullivan, the only woman candidate who's running in the congressional race in 2018. Welcome to Sue. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have a woman on. The only other woman we've had on is Megan back in, I think, April. It was one of our first times interviewing anyone and I think it is a reflection to the fact that there are so few women running and we're so grateful to have you on sorry to make it about that but you know it is it is exciting for me well thank you thank you Saja and Justin I am so happy to be here it is a beautiful day and sitting here with you both and just talking is is a great opportunity to connect with people The fact that I am a woman 
is not something that I necessarily lead with because I like to think it's obvious. <laughs> and, you know, this process is about who's best qualified uh, to do the job and who has the best experience. But I will say as the only woman candidate that we are not equally represented in the House of Representatives that the percentage of women in 2017 is something like 19%. And that's not okay. I think women solve problems differently. I think that we approach the problem-solving process with the end game in mind. And I, I have to give a shout-out, quite frankly, to you know the Republican senators from uh, Maine and Alaska for their bravery on the health care Boat. Sure. They did what was right for people. And my mantra is it needs to be about people over politics as usual. And just to backtrack, tell us a little bit about your connection to this district and a little bit about how you ended up running for Congress. I'm sure it was a big decision for you. Well, let's start with uh, my connection to the district. I say, I don't know if my life was gerrymandered for this district or this district was gerrymandered for my <laughs> life. But I attended Saugerty School Districts here in Ulster County from third to 10th grade. And my dad was a teacher at Saugerty's High School. My mom was the librarian at Antiora. And their families had originated from Otsego County. So in 10th grade, my parents bought a small community ski area in Cooperstown called Mount Otsego. And I was stripped away from my friends in high school um, and turned out to be the best experience ever. And so I graduated from Cooperstown High School. My education is centered in New York State, Herkimer County Community College, Syracuse University, and Marist College, and relocated back to Ulster County in 1989. So I've been here ever since, raised my children here, and feel that I understand very personally and clearly the challenges that exist for folks who live in the 19th. Uh, you mentioned some of your educational history, and one of the issues that I think is not being spoken about enough is this attack on public education that's happening in the sidelines behind the daily Trumpian fiasco. There's this degradation of public education. And as someone who attended public schools in this district yourself, what are some of your thoughts on what Betsy DeVos's Department of Education is doing by taking away resources from public schools where, in this district especially, where there are so many counties that are rural that really depend on federal resources. What are some of your thoughts and what are some of your plans should you win the election? With both of my parents, you know, having careers in public education and and having education being a huge component of our day-to-day -day upbringing in my household, I think that there are a few core values that exist in this country. Education is one of them, and I believe very strongly that we, we do not need to insert for-profit interest into our public education system. I believe that when you consider rural areas um, as, as compared to very wealthy areas, there is not equity currently, and that we have a lot that we can do about that. I believe the federal government needs to partner uh, with 
with the for-profit sector in the aspect of internships, opportunities, um, bringing resources through technology to some of these rural areas. And then that takes you back to the whole topic of infrastructure. You cannot have a strong and vibrant economy and community without certain core infrastructures like broadband. And, you know, I've done a bit of studying of distressed communities throughout the country, and it is virtually impossible for us to provide hope without that infrastructure. And the fact that, you know, in New York State, there's areas that to this day still do not have infrastructure is something that we need to talk about. Uh, Governor Cuomo has led the fight on um, making a change in that effort. I think the federal government, and as representative when I win, will be focused on partnering uh, with our, our state leadership on making sure that as many dollars and resources necessary uh, will be put forth. It's about leveling a playing field. And I think it's one of the great aspects of hope that we can deliver for our community. You're listening to our interview with Sue Sullivan here on Spotlight 19. You mentioned healthcare earlier, and as I was researching some of your background, I saw that you have some experience in the healthcare industry, which I think really differentiates you from the other candidates where you've actually had to address the changing policies, the healthcare policies over the years. And what insight could you provide as we've seen now that the repeal has failed, which is really exciting, but there's this huge uncertainty in the markets as to what will happen. The president actually has this power to cause this disruption and upheaval in the markets because of, unfortunately, something that President Obama, in order to keep the market stable, had to assume this power to delegate what happens in the insurance markets because the Republicans were refusing to vote on keeping the market stable. But now what this has done is that President Trump has the ability to cause these disruptions in the markets. So there's all this uncertainty, even though we had this really decisive and exciting victory where it seemed like, you know, people were really listening to all of these voices that have come out since the election. And the driving force there has been to protect our care. So as a former I don't know exactly your title, so forgive me. But as an affiliate with a hospital here in this area, what are some of your thoughts about healthcare going forward? So my title, um, and I, I have to always be careful not to sound too wonky when I start talking about <laughs> healthcare because it is something that I feel very passionate about and in the weeds have a great understanding of the challenges on the process. I served as uh, Vice President of Government Affairs and Advancement at St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital, which served the Newburgh Cornwall communities, uh, parts of Ulster County, parts of Dutchess County, so clearly part of the 19th District. And my role there was to educate elected officials regarding the impact of their policy votes on people, because healthcare is about people. And you know, with the with the recent victory, um, I think we need to be diligent. I think we need to 
put away this partisan um, focus and we need to get back to helping people. Every day that goes by that we don't have a defined, uh, renewed uh, Affordable Care Act working for us, people are hurting. And I think that that is the most important thing that we can focus on. Um, over the course of my career, I worked with Congressman uh, Maurice Hinchy, who is a bit of an icon in the 19th and a legend, and I learned a lot from him. I worked with Senator Schumer as well as then-Senator Clinton to address some Medicare reimbursement issues. And it's funny, I was speaking in the last uh, few weeks with some leaders at the local hospitals in the district. The same issue that I successfully fought for and won for my hospital in Newburgh um, is currently the number one issue facing the hospital system in Ulster County. And that's called the um, Medicare Geographic Reclassification. And it's a Medicare um, additional uh, reimbursement because you have to compete with New York City wages, basically. It's a wage index. And the fact that that continues to be the number one issue now 18 years, probably, from when I started working on this topic is a problem. And we need to create a healthy and vibrant healthcare delivery system. That experience will be very helpful in addressing some of the issues. Unfortunately, we haven't had the opportunity here in the 19th District to hear from what our congressman's position actually is. And because of all of the rhetoric around the healthcare issue, I think it's really difficult to determine other than the fact that the other party despises the Affordable Care Act, what is their actual position? Is it that there needs to be less government involvement? And if that's the position, then there needs to be a way to meet in the middle. And I think that especially uh, since we started the podcast, there's been such polarization. People aren't inclined to want to understand healthcare because it's so incredibly complicated. And what they understand is that their premiums might be going up, but they don't understand it from the other side where doctors and hospitals are under constant pressures and they have to meet so many different requirements and benchmarks that if you look at it from the other side, then you kind of start to understand it, it becomes clearer why it's such a complicated issue. And I think it's great that you bring that experience to the table. It's something that um, I don't think any of the other candidates have this in-depth experience in. So I'm just going to jump in here and ask a, a quick question. Sue, if you could ask John Fazzo one question regarding healthcare, what would that be? And if you were Congresswoman and someone asked you that question, what would your answer be? How do you justify the fact that you voted for a bill that you didn't know what it was going to cost or who it was going to impact because there was no CBO score out. And why did you vote the way that you did? And answering that question myself as representative for the 19th, I wouldn't have voted for that bill because it would not have been the right thing to do for my community. I understand that you have to be looking at the greater good versus individual interest, but Healthcare is 
six, you know, huge component of our national economy. It's not something that you do lightly. It's something you study and understand and problem solve. I have sat in the emergency room with a very dear friend because they needed an advocate for them in a very scary situation. And that wasn't part of my job. It was who I am as a person. On Mother's Day of this year, just as an example, I haven't worked in a hospital in three years. I spent the whole from nine to three in the emergency room with a friend's mom. She wasn't here. She was out of town. Her mom went to the ER. I went to advocate for her. And I think that's what we need is an advocate and someone who's going to fight for us every single day and help us solve problems. So what are some of the problems and concerns that you've heard from constituents during your travels around the district? So I, I visited Downsville, New York, which is in Delaware County, very small um, community a few weeks ago, and had the opportunity to meet with a gentleman who owns a bluestone cutting facility. And on his barn was a big sign that said, uh, stone cutters and loggers for Trump. It was as big as my house, the sign. (laughs) And I said, come on, you know, like, let's talk about what's really important. What is it that you think needs to be fixed? And he provided an example of the fact that there's a law or a regulation with the EPA that when bluestone um, excavators, I guess, go into quarries to excavate bluestone, that they have to take a stretcher with them. And that sounds great on the surface, makes a lot of sense. But apparently in Delaware County, when when folks go to, to get the bluestone, they go by themselves. So they're required to take a stretcher with them into a quarry, and it doesn't make any sense. So I just think that we need to be mindful and respectful of everyone, regardless of their political views. And that we need to question when things don't make sense. It's really that attention to detail, but most importantly, follow-up, that I have based my entire professional career on. I've been doing what I do for 30 years in this region, and I have 30 years of uh, track record, 30 years of um, very strong integrity and reputation for doing what's right. That's such an interesting story about always wanting to talk to the other side because that's something we at Spotlight 19 have struggled with because it's hard to get guests from the other side on because when you reach out, it's either you get ignored or on Twitter we've been blocked. We're we're very, we temper our social media as kind of a new beast for us. Uh, I consider that both of us to be fairly private, but... Um, as you see the power that it has to bring people together. And if you harness the kind of good that comes out of it, you you kind of have to use it as a tool. But what we found is that we have, we have fairly neutral messages overall. We've kind of shied away from the 
name calling and things like that that have come out. So it's still interesting that a lot of the local GOP chapters still block us. So when they block us, it makes it really difficult to have that conversation. And we've invited John Fazzo on a few times unsuccessfully. Um, we tried one more time this week, and I, I really made an effort to speak to his district office personnel to make this happen. And we're very happy to say, and it's just been confirmed, that Chris Gibson has agreed to come on the show. And we're it's really important for us to have those conversations with the other side in order to understand where that perspective is coming from. Here in our district, where um, President Trump by one, won, won by almost 10 points. So there are a lot of people that his message... Um, resounded with and we need to understand well what are their concerns and make sure we can't don't just cast them off and uh, decide that we need to block them out and only speak to the concerns of people who will be supporting us i i think that you know one of the things having worked again 30 years in in this area in this region um, and in not in a political vein in any way, I don't know people's politics. I know about problem solving and bringing people to the table. So it's been very interesting as I've had to do fundraising for my campaign, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm speaking with folks and they'll say to me, you're on the other team. And I kind of stop and say, well, what are you talking about? We've worked together for 20 years. I know that we share the same ideals and goals for community. And the fact that I have a D on my shirt and you have an R is what's polarizing us. Instead of the fact that we want to have an economy that's strong, we want opportunities for our children, we want clean air and clean water, and we want access to health care that's affordable and of high quality. So let's start there. I think that um, there's, a, there's a level of civility that needs to be reintroduced into this prospect or into this area. There is a level of respect, mutual respect, and we need to take some of the real anger and hate out of the conversation. And that's the only way that we're going to solve problems in this country. I think we agree upon far more than we disagree upon. And it's time to put, you know, the the politics and the pandering aside and that we all get to work. People are hurting. I had one more kind of policy question that I wanted to pose to you. And it has to do with immigration. There was a new initiative that the president is supporting. We haven't yet heard our congressman's position on this. And it's that of the RAISE Act, which will change the American immigration system completely from this family-based immigration to merit-based immigration, where we essentially reduce the number of immigrants that we have and we base it on what they can bring to the table on paper, really, and based on the visa interview process, if they can speak English, what kind of degrees they have. And it's interesting because 
on the one hand, I'm sure as someone who's worked in the healthcare industry, you're well aware that we're about to have a shortage in certain professions in the medical industry. Uh, for example, I read something recently that there is a huge demand for OBGYNs, people who will be delivering the next generation. There's a shortage of OBGYNs, and that's really where we're looking to uh, immigration to get some of these highly skilled workers. But on the same vein, something that the RAISE Act will cut off completely is this family-based immigration. And this is something that's um, personal because my family was able to bring over their aging, my aging grandparents to this country. And you mentioned, you know, uh, being an advocate for somebody's mother in the ER. And I think that aging parents is something is an issue worldwide. And when you have immigration and cutting off that family immigration policy that we have that is able to reunite families and help them address this issue of aging parents in a way that's easier for immigrants who have already left behind their home country and have their parents here with them as they get older. It's disappointing for me personally, but I'm interested to see what you think about this immigration reform that's been proposed. Well, I think it's much like um, many of the other uh, policies that are being put forth, and it's based on a certain level of discrimination. And, you know, this country was founded on, on the promise to build a better life. Um, I, I can just speak personally. My grandmother came here um, in 1905 and didn't speak English. And the fact that I'm sitting here in front of you running for Congress, who would have thought? Who would ever have imagined? And that that works in, in both, both ways. You know, we need to be focused on taking care of our family. We need to be prepa- preparing for... Um, a future workforce. Um, I think I heard yesterday that, um, you know, the House Speaker is not in favor of of the RAISE Act mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't think that it really addresses the economic needs of of this nation. So I think that we need to go back to focusing on family, focusing on building community, and and instilling hope that you know, the granddaughter of an immigrant who did not speak English could be running for Congress. That's, it's a pretty overwhelming thought when I, you know, I often think, what would my grandmother think to have me sitting here? I think she'd be excited. <laughs> uh, she, she would just, she would say, this is what America is about. But that's what you'll find. Just one last thing before you head out, and like we say to all the candidates, we'll have you back because these issues, you know, we could discuss them for for hours because they're fascinating and everyone brings, you know, this body of knowledge to the table. Um, But what you're you've been traveling around the district. Um, What are some of your non-political plans that you have? We have one month roughly of summer left. Well, you know, clearly family family is very important. And first and foremost, I am a mom of two great young men. Um, and so I intend to be taking some very special time um, with them. 
um, spending some time with uh, my two sisters and and my extended family that's in um, Otsego County, um, but also just kind of unplugging. I mean, the opportunity to unplug and just read a book, you know, I, I started my one of my um, efforts at the Mohonk Preserve and started their development program, which I see in my backyard. Um, but I also experienced skydiving at the ranch in oh, wow. Gardner. <laughs> and I will tell you, it is something that I, I thought was the most amazing experience ever. And I was speaking with another candidate at one of the functions, and I said, you know, I think we ought to have a CD19 <laughs> jump. And I, I would welcome any, very cool. <laughs> any, any of my colleagues who are running for the 19th to meet me at the ranch one day in Gardner. Um, that is an amazing challenge. And yeah. it, I think it, <laughs> not, not what I was expecting, the best, <laughs> in the best possible way, because I, I always think it's kind, of, it's kind of a fluff question, but it's so interesting to see what people have to say. And, you know, I've, I've never been skydiving. It's, oh, well, let, well let's like, go. Yeah, I mean. Let's do it. I'm telling you, it is, there is nothing like it, how you view the world. It's, it's really almost like you're suspended, but you're falling at 120 miles per hour. <laughs> and I know, right? What, <laughs> who would have thought? But it is something I think that everyone should try. It's, it was on my bucket list, and I did it before my youngest son went off to school. It was my transition event. So <laughs> I, I intend to do it again before the summer's over. So are you in a so-called empty nester at this point? I am. My oldest son lives in Massachusetts near Boston, mm-hmm. and my youngest son is getting ready to um, head back to his third year of college. Okay, very cool. I just thought it was an interesting fact that you went skydiving when you were becoming an empty nester because it's probably the closest you can get to flying. Yeah, so. you know, it was um, <laughs> it was a a a an opportunity to challenge myself. Um, you know, I decided to do this because I believe that we need to have hope and that. When there's no hope, there's no future. And without hope, we are doomed. And if nothing else, if I can restore to any young girl or young woman who thinks about what they should do with their life, they should run for office. I never thought about it once my entire life. I've been busy working. And, you know, I had my aha moment at the Women's March in D.C., I Googled, how do you run for Congress, literally, and have been going full bore ever since. So um, there's no downside, no fear. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sue. It's been a real pleasure having you on, and uh, we hope to see you again. Enjoy the rest of the summer. You Um, too. And thank you both for doing what you do. I mean, I think that, I don't know... Um, I've learned a lot from listening to the other candidates and their perspective and other topics. So, you know, this side job is turning into something really, (laughs) really cool. So thank you both. (laughs) That's really important for us to hear because we've definitely been wondering, 
you know, are people even listening to this? Is it too boring? But we're glad at least getting feedback is really meaningful to us. Yeah. Keeps us going. Thank you again. And we'll see you again soon. I will see you very soon. That concludes our interview with Sue Sullivan and concludes our episode today. What is this episode? 11, maybe? Starting to lose track. Um, doesn't really matter, does it? Nothing really matters. And perhaps it does. I think it does. Thanks so much for listening. We will bring you more very soon. Keep the faith. And all your things you don't need.